This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of welcoming my friend for many years, Donna Cyrus. Welcome to Halo Talks. Hi, Pete. How are you? Excellent. So Donna and I have known each other, harking it back to, I guess, probably 2002, 2003, uh, when, uh, when I was running a software company, uh, web-based software company in the internet world of fitness, and you were at uh, Crunch. I was at Crunch. I was at Crunch. This is what people used to say. I was at Crunch back in the day when it was a powerhouse of a brand and punched way above its weight. But really everything about Crunch, you know, was, was started with the Group X and, and the, the marketing around it. So what I want to uh, talk about with Donna today is how important the group exercise programming is, how the strategy, education, understanding the value of the people that are associated with it, you know, make or break your club. So Donna, maybe you could just give a little background uh, from, from Crunch onward, and then we can uh, could fire questions off at you. So really, um, over about 20, 20 years I was with Crunch Fitness, and the thing that I don't think most people knew is that Crunch Fitness was the first boutique club. And the, the, the gym was built around it. It was only classes. Doug Levine, the creator and uh, the, the guy that brought the whole thing to life, really had seen group fitness as a tool to really turn the tide from the sort of mainstream type of fitness locations into a boutique experience. So all of the, all of the classes were crazy and entertaining, and we focused on the place where entertainment meets fitness. So it was really appealing to me because I came first from the entertainment world and sort of started to get interested in fitness from that point forward. So everyone says, oh, my gosh, these boutiques, where are they coming from all of a sudden? And I wanted to say, listen, that's how it started with Crunch. And then it grew it into a gym. And then all of the different bells and whistles happened after that. And so we're kind of right back where we started in the industry right now. So when you think about what your, your title was at, at Crunch, you were basically a group fitness director. I was the senior vice president of programming. Wow. Okay. That's even more illustrious than I thought. So well, you're basically the tastemaker, if you will, for, for group X programming in New York. And you had the pole dancing and you brought in spinning and, and the first to bring in Zumba. So maybe talk about, you know, one is the importance that, that Crunch said, hey, I'm going to hire you to actually do this, which was kind of a new position, I would say, at this level. And then how you kind of thought about, OK, you're, you're basically like America's Got Talent, you know, circa you know, 1990s. Right. <laughs> well, really, really, when I came, uh, I had a club in South Miami Beach called Club Body Tech that uh, Crunch and Equinox were both buying after purchasing because that was the time when you know South Beach was the hot thing. So every all the celebrities and everything went there. So Doug Levine was the winner of Club Body Tech and brought me back to New York to sort of take over this whole now the vision of where Crunch was actually going in the industry. But when I came back, there were things like the firefighter workout, which was made by the marketing director, which was ridiculously dangerous, <laughs> um, all kinds of crazy classes that had no fitness value whatsoever. It was a theatrical kind of mm -hmm. craziness. So I looked at that and started to realize like, these classes have to be safe, but they also have to have uh, a, a fitness modality included. So from that's when we started starting to move out and branching in the entertainment value of the programming, 
but that was safe and effective workouts that we could do. So when, when you thought about that, you, your background before you, you were at Crunch and, you know, you've got a dance background and, you know, t- talk a little bit about the, the safety and the ability to scale programs like that once you had the educational, you know, manual set up and, and how important that is to, you know, Crunch consistency and, and things that you've done since then. Well, I'll give you just a little bit of a background what the firefighter workout was. <laughs> It was designed by one of the personal trainers who was a firefighter, Uh, but it consisted of, everybody knows the step. You'd have like 20 uh, risers underneath it. People were jumping off and then dragging like a a dummy that you use through CPR and all of that stuff through a firing building. And I was like, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah, I think so. So scale back a little bit and then started to look at what was what else was out there that was fitness related but also was had a theatrical buzz and we were the first to offer two things well first to offer uh cardio strip tees because it was right around the time I have no idea what that might mean <laughs> it was around the time Demi Moore was coming out with the movie and I thought that's fitness so we pulled together a class for a choreographer that actually was one of our instructors in Los Angeles and also was training uh, her at the time and found the fitness modalities within stripping. But then I felt like, you know, you have to go to the next level. So we kind of were the first to create a sort of sexual fitness modality. So from there, we went to different points of view with bar and then ended up the next and third in that uh, offering was um, our pole dancing workouts. Yeah. And, and um, you know, a, as you come up with these new ideas and these new concepts, how important was it that you were in L.A., New York and Miami and can could really source amazing talent that was either, you know, Broadway dancers or, you know, actors, actresses or fitness professionals, you know, 25, 30 years ago, because they they were really delivering right. that content. And, you know, talk about talk about how that was you know, important and how you created that pipeline of, of people. Well, first of all, I think it's key for a brand like Crunch uh, and just in general, New York and Los Angeles, because you know that you're going to find people who are either dancers that aren't dancing or performers who aren't performing but had the ability to be entertaining and engaging. So I always looked for that was the first stop on the bus for my instructors. It was easier to teach someone how to teach if they had rhythm and they had, they can be engaging and exciting and entertaining than trying to go in the back end and find nothing against personal trainers, but to find that key 10% of your instructors that are going to be engaging and exciting and say, okay, here's a squat, here's a lunge, do it. They could get that rather than the other way around trying to teach some personal trainers how to do uh, dance-based programs. The other thing is, and Miami being in a really good source because there's a lot of um, people who are coming from South America that had a lot of dance-based movement. They were entertainers. And that's when I met Beto um, Perez, who created, he called it Samba Tone, and I talked him into calling it Zumba. We uh, so we are on with the, tell- uh, the, the co-creator of, of Zumba, but just yes. not on the uh, equity capital table. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky me. Why am I not a millionaire? Um, uh, you're here now, though, yeah, so we're having um, fun. <laughs> basically, the thing was he, he had this entertaining segment and he was able to bring people into to his ability to reach out 
to masses of people. So I think those three cities are a good example of where people came from. Actually, I'm sure everybody knows this story. Zumba, we went through the whole alphabet and it ended up in Z because there was nothing else that's Roomba, Boomba, Zumba. And Z, that works. A great, so. great name and a great story. I remember they, they uh, referenced you on their uh, How I Built This um, podcast. They said Donna Cyrus was the, the key to getting us into crunch and get, getting us into commercial clubs. So if anything, you've people. got, uh, you've got they, they, they talk about you frequently, which is, which is nice to hear. Um, talk about for a minute, you know, when you, when you, as crunch or if you're a middle market health club and you start to look at bringing in some of these other group programming uh, that, that has, you know, their own name to it. So like, let's take like a Jillian Michaels, like a body shred, or you take some of the Les Mills classes. What's your view on, you know what, I, I, I want a private label. You know, I want this, I don't want people to, to think about anything except like it's my gold sham or it's, you know, Pete's Fitness and, and these are my proprietary programs versus, you know, hey, why don't, why don't I get Zumba in because it's going to help me market and people know about it. Or let me go get a, um, you know, a, 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 cycl- a site because like maybe they'll have some marketing benefit to it. So how, how do you think about kind of creating your own versus letting your instructor create what, whatever they like to do versus, you know, having like a regimented licensed program? Um, I would have to say, well, I would never bring in another brand that didn't start at Crunch. So the start at, you know, it was always key to me that what I wanted was, even in the case when Zumba started and and some of the things you mentioned, first to have TRX in in a studio setting and Jillian came in with Body Shred with us. My idea was always let's start here and then let's wish you the best to go out in the field Either whether if we're partnering with you or whether we're um, putting you in the best life in a press purpose, full mm-hmm. meaning, that um, it started at Crunch. And then we either supported them through like Pound, like Zumba, like um, some of the other brands you mentioned. I think it depends on what your brand is. If you're a club and you're known for um, how long you're open or you want to have the most people coming into your your your, uh, your gym, it makes sense to have a Zumba. It makes sense to have a system that like a Les Mills because it's already done, created, and you know it works. Um, but we were basically always looking for that one thing that nobody had seen yet and that we could bring in. And a number one thing that was always important for me Am I going to get press out of this? Mm-hmm. I'll do my own marketing. I'm not going to pay a marketing director. We have marketing directors. No, don't, don't get me wrong. But that would help us every quarter. What do you have new? What's going on? What am I going to get press from? And I'm, Okay, we got this. So I think that was really important to our brand. And I think depending on for you looking around what you see the other clubs are having, and you don't necessarily need that proprietary necessity, I think definitely um, things like Zumba work, things like Les Mills work, things that are a safety, and then look and see what your actual instructors are doing, because there's three nodules here. There's the 10% of the very high-end instructors who are going to bring in the people because they have a following. Mm -hmm. There are the people that you teach, um, the instructors that you teach that may come from a personal training background, but also can start to roll into group fitness by being your next level, sort of your midline price point. And then there's the people who are in the front row. 
um, and I call the front row people, the instructors waiting in the wings, Mm -hmm. um, start to train them, start to educate them and expand their horizons on what they can offer as they go along. Because now they're the people that actually, they crawled their way up to the front row and they want to be standing up there and they want to be the instructors. So Got it. So, so you're, you're sourcing it, 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 some of your raving fans, basically, or yes. become your... Yeah, I've, I've heard that story a lot with uh, some of the I soul cycle instructors. Way. and Yeah. Uh, so I used to sit in that front, you know, bike six, and now I'm here. So um, when you think about the psychology of a instructor, and in this day and age, you know, they really are, you know, whether they're, you know, a big key influencer and they're getting paid by... You know, whether it's Nike, Adidas or some of these Supreme or whatever brands. And then you look at, um, you know, the the amount that, that an instructor can make on a per hour basis. And, and I look at it and say, well, they're getting paid appropriately because they're basically running a live event. You know, it's effectively a concert and they're the 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 artist at that point. So a, as you've had experience with not just Crunch, but all these other clubs and you say to them, hey, look, here's how you retain an instructor. or Here's what you know, a top diva instructor, you know, like cares about like what, what's, how, what's the priority list? Is it, you know, Hey, I want to make X amount of money. I want benefits. I want time slots. Like how, just so people understand, you know, here's like the top three or five things that you need to think about if you want to retain your best instructors. So the best instructors really want a lot of thank you very much. Okay. They want to feel that you realize that they're bringing a lot to the table that you have laid out from day one, how am I going to be able to make more money? How do I go from $50 to $60? And then you lay out the plan of how they do that. I need to see this many people in class. Um, if I within, and then you give them guidelines. If in six months or what I, you know, Q1, Q2, you've seen their class go from 22 people to 40. Mm-hmm. And you acknowledge that as the owner. And it, it's not always necessarily this particular group, and I call them the top 10% echelon, Mm -hmm. they want things, they want to wear a jacket that says whatever your name of your club is, a super instructor or master trainer, or they want everybody to kind of see that you recognize that that they're the top of the line, and they want to sort of work in in different ways. It's not always financial. Um, And I think it's a key level to think that they have something to, you know, to thrive to be without it necessarily costing you another 20 bucks. Right. When uh, several years ago, I used to talk to um, a number of Gold's Gym franchisees and we were talking about, okay, Planet Fitness is here and that's kind of the laundromat of the fitness industry. There's no, there's no, you don't really have a relationship with anyone. On the high end, you really, you know, have a a very deep relationship, you know, one with, with the, the individual and two with their credit card. Right. And in the middle, you're basically, <laughs> you know, it's a return on relationships. We used to, it came up in a, a podcast recently where it's in, like the ROR. And I said, you know, look, if you don't know the name of your top five fitness instructors, like you're in a lot of trouble because they probably f- effectively control, you know, 20 and, and your, your quote could be up to like 40% of the traffic that goes into a club. So how do you ingrain in some of your consulting projects and you know, people say, hey, I need you to come in and just kind of like fix my group exercise program. How much of that is like culture, you know, how, how you reward people, you know, how you do the schedule. Just talk a little bit about like, you know, on the surface, it might be like, hey, Donna, come in and like clean up a couple of programs, make them a little safer, you know, make them a little more sexy and, you know, give me a PDF that I can use to market it. Like talk about, 
the complexity of like understanding what's really going on in the club and how you can turn that around. And it doesn't, it's not a three week project. Well, I think for starters, um, you as the owner or uh, GM or whoever have got to start a relationship with these people, no matter how annoying they are, because they're going to be annoying because they believe it's all about them. And that's, you have to learn how to deal with that. And they have to learn also to respect you because you care about them to a certain point. And then it's like, we're not doing that anymore. Hmm. We're not playing that game anymore. This is what it is. And integrate yourself with them. So they have a high respect for you and know that you're not going to be like, oh, my people, if they, they have a tendency to call them. My people don't like that you're raising my people. Is, my is my there, people. Right, they they come into the, into the yeah. club only to go to that class, right? Or only uh, yes. to see that instructor and exactly. just happen to go through your 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 front desk in order to get and, there. I mean, I have a funny story because um, Bob Harper from The Biggest Loser was one of our key instructors in Los Angeles at our crunch in West Hollywood. And the member base would know, like, and I've come from New York because I would go back and forth, but the member base would know, like, oh, he's not here. <laughs> he's out of town. I mean, he didn't have, he didn't, and he, Bob and I have a great relationship now, but he wouldn't tell them. He'd made sure the member base told them. <laughs> and so we were like, what do you mean he's not coming today? Oh, no, he's not. He's not here. He's in Florida, but he'll be back. So you, <laughs> finally, I'm like, listen, Bob. No, you have to also be on the good side and the bad side. And then once they realize that that's what's going on, they become your biggest fan and they Mm -hmm. support the brand. So you just have to find the fine line between kindness and, yeah, we're not fooling around with that. So things of that nature. But I think the key for someone who's looking to how, how do I... How do I uh, engage my key instructors so they're not going around telling the members things and and whatnot? And it's simple things, just like I mentioned, Uh, uh, you know, two or three T-shirts, something special for them, Um, giving them listening to their suggestions, because 100 percent of the time they know what they're talking about. If the stereo is not right or the sound's not right and and tell them an honest reason why you can't fix it at this point in time and be mindful that what they're saying they're saying to the members, so you want to make sure that you respond to an answer that you want them to say. Gotcha. So when you look at um, Les Mills, and, and they've obviously got their choreographed programming that comes out on a quarterly basis, you know, part of that is, okay, I've got a consistency of programming, but it also, in a way, allows you to have somewhat of like a governor on, like the instructor is like X important, but like, look, we got the programming, we'll train someone else and you'll have the same experience. So what's your view on if you go into a, a, if there's a new club opening up and you're like, look, why don't you do a balance of, you know, here's some programs that you should license because you've got consistency and kind of like sprinkle it on with some creativity or what, what's the balance that you think is like the proper? I think it depends on where you're located. Um, not being disturbing, saying if you're in, I'll make it up, ups up Alaska, up in the top of something, mystery club. But that if you know you're not going to be able to find the level of instructor that you need and you're not going to be able to pay the price point. Mm -hmm. So I I believe that, thank goodness for Les Mills and the Zumbas that gave you the ability to have something that, you know, instructors who are newbies can hold on to. Where it gets not so good is when that's all they know how to do. Right. And they don't have any, they have no uh, in, uh, interest in learning mm-hmm. new things. Many times we've taken over clubs 
that crunch has come in and those clubs only had less mills and only had sort of licensed programs. And the problem then is that the instructors are like, I don't know how to teach anything else. And you'd say, well, we'll learn, we'll teach you how to do our classes and mm-hmm. we'll help you become a better instructor. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. I only know how to do this and I work someplace else anyway. So I think you just have to be mindful. You make sure you mix it. Mm-hmm. And number two when you're looking for instructors, go to the places that most likely those people you were, we were talking about earlier wanna, are going to be. Go to the dance studios. Mm-hmm. Go to the places where uh, colleges, where there's a lot of uh, new newbies that have been in, you know, they've been teaching in classes or whatever, but they come from the sports side of things. Right. And they have they have the ability to now advance into what group fitness people really need to be. Go there and then make sure that whoever you hire as your director or your group fitness manager or what have you is someone who knows how to train those people. That's key because if they can train new instructors and you have the the back end of a Les Mills or a Zumba, but you have the ability to find somebody that can take them under their wing and they're sort of the mother of that club. Key, 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 and you'll be successful. Yeah, I think um, well, one thing, we, we just met with a group, and we're, we're going to try and get it, put an investment into a company called The Athlete Book. So it's basically trying to get jobs for Division One, Two, and Three athletes, you know, mm-hmm. th- into our into the Halo sector. And, um, you know, we're talking about the pricing of, like, how do we, you know, how do we price the recruiting component to that? And if you find a good group exercise instructor, if you find, like, three or five, and you've got a... A, an all-star team, you're probably going to run a very profitable club. So can you talk a little bit about for a minute, you know, how you did your, and how you still do your auditions, you know, sourcing, you know, it sounds like some of it's like actually go around the community and just figure out where the, the most, you know, awesome people are and then talk to them and, you know, whether it's poach them or, you know, you know, right. recruit them if they're available. So, Yes, recruitment is key. <laughs> I would say that, especially in uh, clubs that are near your your club. So you want to make sure you know what's going on there. Two, I think finding levels of instructors that are highly, almost like highly educated in one modality, but are not necessarily that's they don't know everything, and you know. So you want to find a way to offer trainings within your clubs that are going to expand the offerings that these people can teach mm-hmm. because it's, it's better to have an instructor that can do multi-level uh, programs and, and those that can't find a scenario where you can ha- you can train them because then if they're at your club or multiple clubs, whatever you have, if they can teach six or seven or eight classes, they're committed to you. Mm-hmm. If they teach one yoga class, you're one of many, and so they're off whatever, doing whatever. So you want to make sure that you find key talent. Look at the places that I said, dance studios, um, sports-specific colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, have them come in and do what they know, and then find ways to train them, offer training, and you pay for the training, and you give it to them. So they have a certain amount of loyalty. Yeah, one, one of the things that um, has come up in, in a number of um, growth equity situations where someone's like, Oh, I'm going to do one location in New York. I'm going to do like two in LA. I'm going to do two in Miami. I'm going to do one in Chicago. I'm like, look, if you just put eight in New York and you actually like have full-time 
instructors that you can offer a full-time job because you have the locations. I think the idea of clustering, people think it's like, oh, it's just like a marketing optimization plan and that you can, you know, you can manage it and you can visit. But I think that one of the special parts of the equation is that I can get X amount of instructors and I can employ them instead of them having jumping around to all these different locations. So when you were working, uh, when you were running crunch, you know, did you have people kind of on a circuit where they were going into different clubs or they were doing a turnover and, and kind of, you know, yes. putting people well, around when I came yeah, to crunch, we had six clubs in, in uh, New York city and then we had eight and that was the key. Um, they uptown, downtown, they represented us in look and, and it's why we, we got so much press right from the very beginning because they were very specific looking instructors and they also had all of this, you know, uh, the, we had the ability to pay them because that was who we, you know, they were highly paid. So they were very loyal in that sense. And the first club after New York was Los Angeles, was West Hollywood. So we set, kept to that sort of rule and regulation that we then were going to expand in different markets once we knew that th those two locations were going to work. Yeah, I mean, on Sunset, you know, th there's probably no better feeding ground for some of the best, you know, entertainers and, and fitness people. So it seemed like it was a great strategic move at the time. So w one thing I want to uh, touch on here is um, a lot of people come up with all these crazy new ideas related to group programming, whether it's like do it in like a refrigerated area, do, um, you know, I know you love your aerial uh, yoga, which I haven't, can't believe you haven't plugged yet. I've been talking for 30 minutes. Okay, this way. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about what a lot of people come in and they say, hey, I'm going to do this new concept. And, and, and at some point during the conversation, I say, what are the results that someone's going to get? And I feel like a lot of these programs have like forgotten what their goal is. Like people are coming in to look better, to feel better, to most likely lose weight is, you know, the, obviously the top reason. So how do you kind of calibrate when someone comes in with like this awesome, you know, entertainment idea, do you get down to like the empirical like scientific, like, hey, you know, no one's going to look better if they do this. It might be a cool, like, class to do, like, instead of going to a bar and, like, as I like to say, instead of having three Moscow mules, I'll go and do this class. And that's fun, but it's not really doing anything for me. So how do you kind of pull people back and say, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. And, you know, this, this sounds like a really cool program, but no one's going to look better when by the time they're done with it. Well, I think in, there's so many... <laughs> things out in the market right now that everyone is thinks, oh, I'll do this and that will make it different. And um, I looked at every one of the programs that, that were sort of more on the entertainment factor. Uh, you mentioned anti-gravity yoga. Um, and again, back to the key of our brand, which is where entertainment meets fitness. So my first question was always, is this entertaining? Is it something that can be entertaining? And is it going to make somebody fit? Right. Um, so every program we've ever launched had to have those two components. So it, that sort of regulated what I was going to launch and what I wasn't going to launch. And mm -hmm. then the list goes on and on from that point forward. That's our brand. You have to look at your brand and what your offerings are, but always with the eye towards if it doesn't have fitness results, you don't, you don't do it. Good, good. Let's shift for a moment to um, where you see the future of live streaming. And the part that I'm most intrigued with is potentially live streaming into the clubs, 
where you basically would have a big projector or you'd have like eight television sets and you'd have something piped in from, you know, crunch New York and you'd have instruct, you know, uh, 20, 30 people focused on that from a music and from a video standpoint, but you'd have instructors or trainers on the floor kind of like helping with that. Do you, do you think that's the future or do you think that's a pipe dream? <laughs> uh, of course, I don't think it's the future because I believe the teacher engaging with the individuals is still the key. And now I think there's many boutiques that have sort of come along and, you know, or let's just talk about product, you know, obviously what Peloton has done and me measuring the amount of success. But I think watching a video and losing that sort of engagement face-to-face -face with, with the instructor is, we're, we're not there yet. Now, um, there's plenty of circuit classes that are out in the marketplace right now, boutique levels and things like that, where people are actually running themselves. Yeah, like an F45 with, type of... Uh, yeah, oh. and um, there's you, you lost a little bit of that engagement and hands-on mm -hmm. feeling, um, but with the instructor. Do I think down the road... I think it makes sense, however, though, in certain settings. If, for example, it's in a place that's, you know, not in so much of an urban market. Yeah, maybe go back to your Alaska made-up city but yeah, or in, town, in Alaska, whatever that was. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, Anchorage. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of big. But I Sorry, sorry Alaska. A little smaller. I know you're bigger than that, but it's the only thing that came to my head. Okay, anyway, no with that said. Um, no consulting jobs in Alaska for yeah. both of us, so <laughs> damn it. Gonna get rid of Alaska clubs. We're coming to get you, and we're after you forget about this podcast. Um, no, but basically, yes. And if that's where where you have a, a location um, where you're not going to find that level of instructor, I definitely think streaming or video content. And then the other thing about the video content um, offerings, because we had that with Crunch Live, you can then set up in downtime rather than paying for the instructor a video class that goes on in, in downtimes where you, you know, and then you still, it saves you an instructor rate of pay and several other things. So depending on what your needs are and your cost and your values, I think there's, it, there definitely is a reason to do it. Got it. And then just one other question of, of kind of looking into the future. When do we get these insurance companies to finally realize, you know, hey, look, pay for your, your, uh, your, your covered, lives to come into a class and if they do you know three or four you know strength or you know even stretching classes a week that they get full credit for that i feel like you know we still you know touch upon it and you got the silver sneakers and you got some other groups that are starting to do it are, are you are you hearing more about it are you advocating for it are you seeing that you know it's happening or we is it still you know three to five years away from like healthcare understanding that like you got to get people and prevent this instead of like waiting for them to get have you know and take all these medicines that cost a fortune and then you have suicidal tendencies this, this is very very important right now in the fitness industry i want to say that the rules and regulations are you have to teach up to like 20 hours to be able to be considered or full-time actually 40 hours all, all told but to be able to be considered full-time and whereas some of these instructors are trying to teach at least um, there's there's different versions of this. Some insurances that you can get if you if you work 20 hours. Um, some are 40 hours based on being getting full time hours in order to be ha able to have that included. 
we're seeing as instructors, and really the high-end ones, are starting to age and starting to try to continue to do what they're doing and getting all kinds of um, injuries, whether, injuries, whether mm-hmm. it's hip replacements, this and that. More and more and more, I think instructors are definitely looking for insurance to be included. And then you see what SoulCycle does. I mean, right, they, sure. they pay for their instructors. So, so, so there are two parts of the insurance question I'm asking. One is, okay, we need to get these people under full time from the instructor standpoint, but also from an industry standpoint, you know, can we get these health insurance companies to start getting seniors to come in and they'll pay the club to to run classes or bring an instructor from the club to the assisted living facility or, or what have you? Do you see some of that starting to unfold yet? I think it will especially now with the baby boomers coming into the, you know, the day where it's time to look at, at uh, prevention. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that that's a key just in general in the industry right now that we have to look at who can come in and support that. Yeah, Silver Sneakers does it. Uh, worked with Silver Sneakers to create a program called Boom, which is talking to Silver Sneakers because we would have Silver Sneakers in a lot of our franchise locations when we would uh, purchase those or take them over or whatever. Mm-hmm. So speaking to them, I said, you know, we need something that's more middle ground. The baby boomers are not going to sit in a chair and they are, have been doing fitness for a while. So it's a different group. And I think it's great for the insurance companies because you're not going to have as many insurance issues right. moving forward if we put some prevention in. So... There is some options under that company, but I'm not sure right now who else in the industry is looking at it. But I definitely think it should be part of, of the future. Great. So, um, well, I think there, there's more work to do in the industry. Um, hopefully, uh, when people are formulating their, their Group X programming and strategy, that they reach out to you to, uh, to, to give them some strategic advice and, and help them put all the pieces together to make sure they've got the programming that, uh, that's going to win in their community. And um, thank you for everything you've done for the industry. And uh, hopefully we could work on a couple more projects together. Thank you, Pete. It's great being here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Excellent. Well, Donna, thanks for being on the show. And we hope that uh, more and more clubs and studios reach out to you to make sure that they've got a rock solid uh, Group X programming and offering and um, help more people get results. Thanks, Pete.